Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. I'm going to read just just seven verses from Malachi chapter 2 to ground this sermon because divorce was one of the big issues that was being addressed by the prophet in Malachi. They're just four chapters, uh, and there are some major topics that we talked about. I mean, polluted offerings, or rebuke for the priests, and then this profanation of the covenant before talking about robbing God and the great day of the Lord. And so the attention of this passage is on one of the specific sins or two of the specific sins that were present in the life of the people of Israel that was leading to God's anger at his people. And um, so I'm going to read to us from Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. This is what God's word says. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. More than one or two or ten or a hundred times, I wish we could go back to the way that things used to be, back to a time that was simpler, back to when things didn't seem so messed up. I wish we could go back to this or that or the other thing, but here is 
a hard truth for us, but actually one that I think can be hopeful. Unless we're going to go back to the garden before there is sin, we're not going to be able to fix things by just going back in time. Going back to the way things used to be doesn't work unless we go to a time in which there was no sin. Because if we were to just reverse the clock and kind of change the broader culture, we would still be a sinner and we would still be living in the midst of other people who are sinners. You can't fix all of our problems by just turning back the clock a little bit. And one of the things that helps me to remember that is the Bible, Because whenever you read the Bible, you realize, my word, as Ecclesiastes tells us that there is nothing new under the sun, we can feel that deeply and profoundly. There really is nothing new under the sun. Any one of the sins that we might experience within our culture, if you read through the scripture, you're like, oh my word, that was there in Israel. It was there way, way, way back. So if we just turn back the clock doesn't solve all of our issues. And the reason for that is that there's always sin from the time of the fall. And so the the right way for us as Christians is to look forward, is to move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit of God and to look forward to the time when Christ will return and make all things new. But one of the things that should strike us as we read Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16 is just how if we were to go back 2,400 years, we'd find that the people of Israel are dealing with exactly the same sorts of issues that we're dealing with today. They are living, the people of Israel at this time, that Malachi is speaking into, they are living in a culture of divorce. They're living in a culture of divorce, a culture that does not seem to prize the covenant of marriage, a culture that uh, does not prize the requirements of marriage to marry a, a Christian spouse, and then also just a culture of faithlessness. You're like, oh my word, 2,400 years ago, things aren't solved by just going back in time. And so the Lord has to come and speak to them. And one of the things that strikes me as I take a look at this, and I hope it's something that strikes you, is that God is speaking to a culture in a time that's 2,400 years ago, but the words just apply and fit in an almost ideal way to our time right now. It fits hand in glove. God tells them with gravity that their covenants are supposed to matter, that their faithfulness to their covenants are supposed to matter, that their marriages are supposed to matter. And one of the problems with the people of Judah is that when they return from exile in Babylon, that's what that's what, where this is situated. The people of Judah have returned from exile in Babylon, intermarriage with other nations who did not worship the Lord had become incredibly common. Ezra and Nehemiah are two post-exilic, that means after that exile of the people of Judah, they're two post-exilic leaders who deal with the problems of intermarriage. People were intermarrying with foreign nations, and in Malachi that problem is still happening. But there's another issue that's taking place in this text, and that is that not only were the people entering into inappropriate marriages, they were acting inappropriately by divorcing their spouses. And I understand that divorce is a difficult and a sensitive topic, and so I would just ask that we receive all of this with an open heart. But there are four different sections about this. We can see that there is faithless marriage that's going on in the context of the people of Israel. There's faithless divorce. 
there's uh, faithless worship, but there is a faithful God. So here's the first problem, the problem of a faithless marriage. Verses 10 and 11 tell us this, have we not all one father, has not one God created us? Then why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign God. The people of Judah are marrying pagans. And it is very important that we name the issue here. The issue is not that the people of Israel were marrying people of a different culture and God frowns on cross-cultural marriages or cross-racial marriages. There are some people who have taken this section of scripture and tried to wrongly apply it by saying you should only marry somebody of your culture or race, but that is not what the scriptures are teaching here. And it's important for us to own that very clearly. The problem here is that believe believers were marrying unbelievers. The problem here is that those that were following the one true God were marrying those who followed pagan gods. We recognize in scripture that there are examples of cross-cultural marriages that are blessed by the Lord. Think simply of the marriage of Ruth to Boaz. Ruth is a Moabitess, so she's of a different culture, but she had owned the one true God as her God and was following after him, and therefore it is good that she marries an Israelite, despite the fact that they are culturally different. And they are blessed to be the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. A Moabitess and an Israelite, both trusting the one true God. This shows us in the book of Ruth that the cross-cultural marriage is not the problem. It's cross-religious marriages that are the problem. The problem has always been, and it is right now, that marrying those who serve a different God is wrong. The issue for the people of Israel at this particular time is that they were worshiping pagans. The issue for us at this time is that it is wrong to marry a pagan. Jesus repeats this and says you should not be unequally yoked. When two people get married, when a Christian gets married, a Christian should marry another Christian. A Christian should marry another Christian. The problem for Solomon was that he married many women, and the pagan women that he married turned his heart away from serving God. And that's the issue here. Judah was faithless and was profaning the covenant. It was a profaning the covenant to marry outside the faith. The Lord makes it clear that this is faithless. The Lord makes it clear that he is the father of Israel, the father of everyone in Israel. That means that in the culture where the father often determined the marriage partner of the son or the daughter, this is the one who has the right to tell Israel who they can marry and who they cannot. And what the father says to Israel and to us, is marry only believers. It's faithlessness to marry anyone else. Now, this was a big uh, commitment of God. In Ezra, there's a long process in Ezra chapter 10 where Ezra the prophet is told to, uh, is told to divorce Israel from their pagan spouses. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com.
www.pastordereck.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. It's worth noting, as people in the New Testament and as New Testament Christians, if you have an unbelieving husband or wife, you are not called to divorce them. You're called to continue in marriage to them. And this is where Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7 comes into play, one of the other two passages I want to draw your attention to. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12, says this, To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be clean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So for New Testament Christians, if you find yourself in a marriage, you should not marry an unbeliever, but if you find yourself in a marriage to an unbeliever, you should not pursue divorce. Now, this happens in a couple of different ways. I've talked to people who uh, got married. They were both unbelieving people, and then one person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus, and they find, oh my word, I'm married to somebody that doesn't share my fundamental worldview. What should I do? And the response, 1 Corinthians 7, is always stay married to that person if, they're, if they won't des- desert you. Sometimes I've talked to people who've gotten married. They were both Christians at the time they got married. And then one person turns away and stops following after the Lord Jesus. And those are tearful, difficult conversations. And people sometimes ask, what should I do? And it's stay married. Sometimes the difficulty is that there are, there's a couple that's dating and, you know, he's like, listen, I, I, really, I really love her. I'm, I'm crazy about her. I want to marry her. What should I do? And the difficult instruction that the scriptures compel me to give is I say, break up with her. Or sometimes there have been, you know, young women who've come to me and they're like, you know, I, I tried dating Christian guys, but this guy is actually nicer than the Christian guys. And I'm like, I, I believe you because I was young, once a young Christian guy, you know, and I understand how bad sometimes Christian guys can be or how mean they can be. And so sometimes they're like, I mean, he's, the, he's like seriously the kindest guy I know. And he's just way kinder than these Christian guys that are at my high school. What should I do? And the difficult thing that I've got to say is you have to break up with him. Because you should not be dating somebody. You should not be dating somebody. You should not even be considering marrying somebody who is not a Christian, who doesn't trust Jesus. Sometimes um, it has been the case where I've agreed to do a wedding for someone and then found out that one person is a Christian and one person is not a Christian. I'm like, I can't participate in that. Because I can't, I can't join together two people that God would say, you should not get married. I should not say, you should get married, if God would not say, you should not, not get married. And so, I mean, to everyone who is of dating age in the congregation who is here or who's watching online, you should only date people who are Christians. You shouldn't even start going down the path with somebody that is not also a Christian. And for all of the parents who are here or are watching online, Tell your children that this is a non-negotiable, that there's one non-negotiable in marriage, 
that, well, there's, there are a bunch, but like the most fundamental non-negotiable is that, you know, they need to be a Christian. I remember I was in, I was in a college group, college group at College Church, and, uh, and the pastor was like, all right, let me tell you the secret to marriage. Let me tell you what has to fall into place. He'd, he'd like sold this for a couple of weeks. Like he was going to give us, you know, this big secret. Um, and uh, he said, all right, let me tell you the, the things that must fall into place for it to work out. And so I remember coming that particular Sunday. I was like, all right, I'm excited for what Jay is going to say to us. And he's like, all right, thing number one that must be in place. They must be a Christian. And I was like, okay, that's good. Uh, and I was like, noted. I took notes. He's like, thing number two, they must be the opposite sex. And I was like, okay, noted. He's like, let's close in prayer. That's it. He's like, everything else you can make work. Everything else you can make work. But that person, and he's like, listen, there are, and then he went into the fact that there are wisdom issues, right? Like if this is a person that's in crazy debt and doesn't have any desire to get, we don't need to get into that. Anyway, you should, they need to be a Christian, okay? And you parents should train up your children to make sure that they know that this is a non-negotiable, fundamental reality. You shouldn't even start dating someone unless it's clear that they're a Christian, that they're an active Christian, and Jesus is of chief importance in, in their life. The way that I... You know, I have not told Elsie that dating is something that happens. I'm, you know, holding off on that for a while because she doesn't need to know about that for many years. But the thing is going to be like, Elsie, if you're going to date him, he better love Jesus more than he loves you or else it shouldn't even start. All right. That's enough. That's enough on that. Let's, uh, let's move on. That is the first part of all of this, right? There's this, there's this inner marriage that's taking place. The problem is not cultural differences. The problem is that people in Israel were marrying unbelieving pagans. And I know that this can be tough, but Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than a dating relationship. Jesus is better than romance. Jesus is better than everything else. And so it's got to be a fundamental non-negotiable. I won't even start dating someone who's not a Christian. All right, so that's the first thing. There's this faithless marriage. Then there's faithless divorce. Unbiblical marriages weren't the only problems faced at this particular time. This was also a people here in Malachi who were profaning the covenant by divorce. And the serious thing is that God was not receiving the offerings of the people, and the people were wondering why. And he gives them an answer. Here, let me read, and you can, if you can open up your Bibles again or take a look at Malachi 2, and I'm going to read 13 to 16 here because I want for us to feel, I want you to know that I'm not just inventing the seriousness with which Jesus, with which uh, God is, is speaking to the people of Israel here. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was with between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love the, his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. 
So the people of Israel are wondering, why is God not receiving our offerings? Why is it when we offer something to the Lord as an offering, why is it that he's turning his back on it? And they are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from their hand. They recognize that as they are offering their sacrifices to the Lord, he's not receiving it. And they are with passionate shedding of tears coming in and saying, why? Why won't you receive my offering? Why is this something that you are rejecting? And God says that he is not receiving their offerings because they're breaking covenant, because there's divorce that's going on here. And Malachi brings the word of the Lord and says, hey, when you made that covenant with your spouse, the Lord was a witness to it. The Lord was witnessing the fact that you made a covenant. In marriage counseling, when I do marriage counseling with um, the young people who I have performed weddings for, I just always note that, um, that as they start the ceremony, this is what's ha- what happens, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, the bride comes down, she's in the wedding dress for her husband, her husband is here, they walk up here, and it starts with the institution and meaning of marriage, and I explain to them what God's will is concerning marriage, that it's a lifelong, exclusive covenant of love and fidelity. And at the end of all of that, I say, now that you have heard God's message concerning marriage, do you agree with it? And do you commit yourself to the other in accordance with it? And then I ask the groom, what's your answer? And he says, I do. And then I ask the bride, what's your answer? And she says, I do. And what I didn't realize for a long time, even as I was starting doing weddings, is I did not realize that there's this like twofold covenant that's being made. This is the first part of it is when they agree with what it is that God says concerning marriage. And the second one is when they turn and face each other and they say their vows to each other. And, and what I try to remember, those that are in my marriage counseling classes, like at this point, you're making this vertical promise to God. God is a witness of what's going on in this wedding. He is witnessing to the fact that you two are making covenants to each other. This is in the presence of God. God is a witness to this covenant. And that's what the Lord is saying to the people of Israel here in verse 14, the Lord was the witness of the covenant that this husband and wife went into, and he is angry with divorce. We shouldn't miss the seriousness of all of this, that God hates divorce because divorce is covenant-breaking. And here in Malachi, God removes his blessing from his covenant people. And the reason that he gives them for removing his covenant blessing is that they are divorcing each other. This is serious business. You're engaging in divorce, so the Lord is removing his blessing. And they cry. And they go to the altar. And they appear passionate in pursuing the Lord God. And yet the Lord God says that he's not receiving these offerings because the people of Israel are divorcing each other. He's saying all of this emotion and passion and crying out and exclamations aren't worth the simple faithless faithfulness of remaining marriage, of remaining married. We need to understand that marriage is difficult. Marriage is difficult for everyone. For almost everyone. I mean, every now and again, I talk to somebody who's been married for 50 years. They're like, it's so wonderful. It's never been hard. And I'm like, that's amazing. Because for, I'm, you know, I, 
we got like five months before there were some hard things in our marriage. I'm amazed that you got 50 years and it was never hard. I, I don't get that. God bless you if that's the case for you. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that, you know, I love my wife deeply more than any of the rest of you here or any other person in the world. And yet there's sometimes where it's really hard because marriage is a tough thing. And, uh, and we've got a good marriage, and there are, there are harder things that have been experienced by other people. It's difficult. Marriage is difficult for everyone. And there are biblical allowances for divorce also. Jesus gives those to us. Jesus gives uh, an explicit allowance for us for divorce in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus states that there's an exception in which case divorce is allowable, and that's sexual immorality on the part of one's spouse. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 19, verses 7, 8, and 9. Matthew 19, 7, 8, 9 say, They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And so I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So, um, you know, in this case, you know, if there's a spouse that that has committed adultery, what happens is that that spouse has severed the marriage covenant. They have severed by their action the covenant that was made. That spouse has already brought an end to the covenantal relationship. And if your spouse does that, you're no longer bound to your spouse because they have acted in a way that breaks apart, that severs the covenant. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you.